We are in uh, we are in Matthew <clears throat> chapter two, Matthew chapter two, and we had talked about the the flight to Egypt in Matthew chapter two. There was this flight to Egypt where in in chapter two verse thirteen of Matthew. Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, "Get up." Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother, and while it was night, and he left for Egypt. And he remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord, Lord, through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. So we talked last time, you probably don't remember what I shared last time because it was several weeks ago, but we talked about the different ways that, that the Old Testament is cited in the New Testament. How there's precise words and precise fulfillment, how there's general words and general fulfillments and things like that. But here we see that, that um, uh, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. So in a dream, an angel appeared to him and told him very specifically what to do. He said, get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is going, is, to, is going to search for the child in order to destroy him. I mean, this is very specific. Get up. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Uh, and remain there until I tell you. And then he gives them the reason for this, because Herod's coming to search for your child in order to destroy him. Not all dreams are like this. Many dreams that are spoken of in, in the scriptures are, are, uh, have to have an interpretation with them. So you may remember Pharaoh was, had a dream, and Joseph had to interpret the dream for Pharaoh. You know, there were six healthy cows and six thin cows. And then, and then uh, um, uh, the king Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and, and, and in this dream... Daniel had to come and, and give the interpretation. Often in the New Testament, you will find people are spoken to in trances or in dreams, and those dreams need to have interpretations. This is an example where there is no such interpretation. It's a very specific word. Joseph needed no interpretation. This was very clear. You remember, may remember another uh, trance that, that, that uh, Peter was in, and Peter saw a sheet coming down in, in the book of Acts, and, and he saw these animals in there, and God said to him, Arise, kill, and eat. And Peter then later interprets that, and he says, God has shown me not to call any man unholy or unclean. Well, it was about animals arising, kill, and eat, and Peter interprets that as, I should call no man unholy and unclean when he's brought to, to uh, Cornelius' house. So you see that there was interpretation involved in that trance for, for Peter. It wasn't a specific word that he, he was just saying. It may have been specific, but Peter interpreted that in the context of human beings. Okay, so, so he, he goes and he runs away, and then it says in verse 16, And when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged, and he sent and he slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem, and all its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. Then what had been spoken through Jer- Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. 
But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, and he said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and came to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Then, after being warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee. And he came and he lived in the city called Nazareth. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. So, I learned a lot about Herod on this past trip to Israel. Did you know this King Herod has changed the formation of this earth more than any single king that has ever lived? I didn't know that. Herod is the one, and I knew this, who had flattened out the mountaintop of the old city in Jerusalem. That was a mountain, and what he did is he built up the sides to make it a flat, and he built the old city. He also built the, the Herod's temple that was there, which was the very temple that Jesus was going into when he was an adult. Uh, Herod started this temple, it was like a 40-year project, it completed after his death. Herod also built the, the uh, Masada, which is that top of the mountain, he built that into a real fortress. There had been something there by the Nabataeans had built something there previously, but he really built it into a fortress, which is this mountaintop fortress that looks over the Dead Sea. He also built Caesarea, which is this huge port on the, on, on, on the Mediterranean, so on the east side of Israel. Huge port city. He had built breakwaters, you know, where they had to you know, drop stone and build these, this artificial bay this huge city, Caesarea, and we read a lot about that in the New Testament. That's where Philip the Evangelist lived. That's where Cornelius was that, that when Peter came and, 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 and uh, spoke to him. It was a real city of commerce. And then he also bought, uh, built Herodian. Herodian is this mountain that he wanted, that he built up. So there's this mountain, and you can see it, and then there's a section that he built it up about another I don't know, several hundred feet, and he built a fortress up there. But he wanted a pyramid, and he, because he admired the pharaohs, the pharaohs were built in the middle of pyramids. Uh, the bodies were, 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 were buried in the middle of pyramids. But this is higher than any pyramid is. The top is flat, there was a fortress up there, and they, they're excavating now Herod's grave, which is inside that mountain, in that... that, that uh, mountain that looks like a pyramid but with a flat top. The man was just this huge builder. Herod died one or two years after Jesus was brought to Egypt. Herod died in Jericho, actually, and his body was then moved back to Herodium, which is this, this mountain. Um, so, as bad as Herod was, you know, killing lots uh, of people, his one son was, was even worse. Archelaus was, was, uh, was, was king. Archelaus was, was, uh, was made king, actually, in, uh, in, in Jerusalem and uh, in Judea, which was part of Jerusalem, and that's in verse 22. But when he heard Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father. Now, Archelaus was really bad. Archelaus had killed 3,000 Jews on the Passover during his ascension to become uh, king in that region after his father's death. I mean, just at a whim, had 3,000 Jews killed. This is why Joseph was afraid to go. You know, it was bad under Herod. He didn't want to go there under Archelaus. And so, 
an angel spoke to him in a dream and said, go to Galilee, and over Galilee was one of Herod's other sons, Antipas, who was crazy, but not as violent as Archelaus. So, so Herod's kingdom was split between now his four sons. All of this was under Caesar still. So these were regional uh, kings, but they were under Caesar. So, um, uh, when I read this passage, I'll show you the types of things that go through my mind when I read the scriptures, the things that I was bewildered at. Here, it says in verse 12 of Matthew chapter 2, And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. So God warned the Magi in a dream not to return to Herod, because Herod had told them, remember up here, um, uh, in, in verse 8, it says, And he, Herod, sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. So Herod said, I want to come and worship the child. Now, it was a lie. He didn't want to come and, we wanted to come and have the child killed. But Herod told them to do this. God speaks to them now in a dream and says, Don't go back to Herod. Lead by another way. And so they do that. What is the result of that? The result of that is in verse 16. Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi. He became very enraged and he sent and he slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under according to the time which had been determined by the Magi. So here you probably have several hundred children, maybe more, being killed. This was... You know, couldn't God have some other way had Jesus brought to Egypt without having to have Herod tricked so that he would get angry and kill hundreds of children? God could have done whatever he wanted to, right? God could have struck Herod dead right there. Why did he have to wait two years for Herod to die? God could have dealt with this in any way. And I'm thinking, God, why did you do this? Why did you tell them, why did you tell the Magi to leave, which would enrage Herod and end up in the result of several hundred male children? I mean, when you think of a child and how much you love them, and then you think of the lost, and you start thinking of the personal cost, that for the protection of the Son of God, which God, who God could have protected in any way, Several hundred children die. How can that be? So, so this, is, this is what I start to ponder. This is what I start to think about. You know, as, as, I, as I think about the loss of a child, I, I think, you know, it, it would be hard to go on, I would think. You know, some people we just love so much. What would life be without them? It would be so hard without them. But you know, it's interesting, something about life, even when we have those thoughts. There is life eternal in Christ, that we know. Now, this is an important verse to hold on to. In, in John, John chapter 11 is this beautiful verse, which is probably the most encouraging verse that you can give to a believing family when they've experienced a loss. In John chapter 11, verse 25, it says, Jesus said to her, John 11:25 I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live 
even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? So it's interesting that that Jesus said that if we know him, we will never die. That there is eternal life. So when you've lost a loved one in Christ, they live forever. You say, well, what about children? Well, Jesus did specifically say, the kingdom of God belongs to ones such as these. I'm not saying that there's not a lot of pain. There's terrific pain. But it's interesting that Jesus looks at death differently than what we look at it. He clearly does. He says, everyone who lives and believes in me shall live even if he dies. That is a great hope. And everyone who believes in me will never die. So when you lay a loved one in the grave, if they know Jesus, they never die. The other thing is I pondered this. If you look at this, this is specifically from from two actions. In verse 12, God warning the the Magi not to return. This is in Matthew 2, verse 12. And then verse 16, Herod becoming enraged wondering, ask God, what's going on here? And, if you, and, and then I went over to the book of Romans. In the book of Romans, there's this specific word, which is nice to hold on to. In Romans 9, verse 14. In Romans 9, verse 14, it says, What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. So in other words, I cannot cry out and say, God, this is, this is unjust. This is an injustice that's that's taken place. The Bible says there is no injustice with God, is there? And then Paul cries out and he says, May it never be. That's as emphatic as the Scriptures knows how to say it. May it never be. So what do I do? I mean, what's the ultimate word here? What do I do? What do I say? When it seems to me, couldn't... Couldn't you, oh Lord, have done it some other way? Couldn't you have protected your son some other way without hundreds of male children being killed? And I'm without, without words on what to say. And then I'm reminded of this portion over in John where, where Jesus said some things that really confused many of the disciples. And there were a lot of disciples beyond just the twelve. And Jesus spoke about his body. He said, unless a man eats my flesh and drinks my blood, he has no part of me. And they were so confused by this. They were so confused that they began to walk away. And this is in John chapter 6. And as they began to leave, um, it says in John chapter 6, verse 60, Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he was saying, For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. 
Verse 66. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So it's interesting. Many of them withdrew because of things that happened, things that Jesus said. And Jesus didn't say, whoa, 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 come on back. You know, I'm just speaking in allegories here. Don't, don't let it upset. He never called them back. He let them go. Then in, in verse 67 it says, So Jesus said to the twelve, You don't want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and could come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so this is what I have to come back to. When I don't understand something in the Scriptures, when I don't understand something in life, I can't just throw in the towel and say, I don't understand. This is too difficult a word for me. I'm going to walk away from it. Because I'm reminded of the words of Simon Peter who said, um, he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. I have nowhere else to go. Where am I going to go? Back to the world? The world is a very wicked taskmaster. The world is not a kind and generous place like I know my God to be. Because I cannot understand everything that He chooses to do, I must maintain that God, there is no, nothing unjust about God. God knows very well what He is doing. And just because I can't, in my quite finite mind, grapple with everything that He is doing in this world, or everything that He allows to be done, through the free will of man, just because I cannot grapple with it, I cannot leave him to where should I go? Because he has words of eternal life. This will do you well in life to remember what Simon Peter said. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You know, I think about what it would be to, to lose, say, someone that I really love. Sometimes I look at my youngest son, Ben, and I'll even say to him, life would be so much less joyful without you. I would hate to lose you. And as hard as I fathom that that would be, I know that I would cope. I know that I would get through. Because God would get me through. I see this all the time when there's loss of loved ones. God sees us through. That He will do. And in God's eyes, there is no real death. He says that He lives forever. And I've come to know that Jesus is the Holy One of God. I've come to believe and I've come to know that He is the Holy One of God. This will do you well in life to remember this. When things come in your life that you utterly do not understand or things happen in life that you clearly do not understand, you don't understand why God allows the free will of man to execute judgment on several hundred people and kills innocent little children who have done no wrong 
you will come to know and believe that he is the Holy One of God and remember that statement. To whom shall we go, Lord? Peter says. There is no one else to go to. When all other things are lost, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what the future holds from wars and from famines and from from uh, pestilence, from E. coli or anything else. I don't know. But I do know there's no place else for us to go. He is the Holy One of God. Remember that and treasure that. And He will see you through. To the end, He will see you through. And He will take you up on the last day. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for the truth of Your Word. For the truth that sustains us. And Lord, when we see things and we don't understand, I thank You, Lord, for Your mercies. Because You will see us through. Thank You, Father. Lord, to whom shall we go? For we have come to believe and to know that You are the Holy One of God. And with You is Word is the word of eternal life. Thank you, Father, for your mercies. For there is no, there's no, there's nothing unjust with God. There's no injustice in God. None. May it never be. And though our finite minds may not understand, Abba, let us rest in you and in your goodness. And that one day we will understand because of your great mercies. Lord, I pray for these young people that you would keep them ever so close to you. The grace of God be upon them, I pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen.